God, we are truly in awe of you and all that you are. There is none like you. Your beauty, your majesty, your glory, all that you are. We worship you this morning and all that you are, Lord, we are humbled. We are blessed that all that you are, that you still know us, that you are mindful of us, that you think about us, that your thoughts for us are good, not for evil, but to give us a future and a hope. God, who are we that you would be mindful and think of us? Who are we that your thoughts towards us are more countless than the sand is in the seashore, Lord? God, who are we that you would love us and have a plan for us and you demonstrated your great love for us when we wanted nothing to do with you, you sent Jesus to die for us. And so we worship you this morning, God. We lift your name on high this morning. We come into this place, Lord, no matter what we're going through, Lord, there's some that crawled into this place carrying in burdens and weights and just heavy-hearted, Lord. But there's some who couldn't wait to come and just rejoice of your goodness. No matter how we are here this morning, you alone are still worthy and we worship you regardless because you are still good. And so God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would meet each one here today personally and individually. Lord, those who just singing songs of praise and worship because you are just showering with goodness. I pray that you would meet them in a real powerful way, God. But those who are burdened and heavy laden this day, God, I pray that they would cast those burdens upon you. God, I pray that you would take those burdens from that you would lighten their loads. They would count it as joy, those various trials that they have found themselves in the midst of, midst of, Lord. Knowing that you are doing something, Lord, and those trials and those burdens and those tribulations, Lord, are for our good and for your glory. God, I pray that you would meet those here today that need a healing. Lord, that you would open up the heavens. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, Jesus. I pray that you would release the power of healing in this place today by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. You are Jehovah Rapha. Physical, spiritual, emotional healings would take place even now, Jesus. Deliverances. People would be set free from bondages and things that hold us back from more of you in our lives. Lord, you said who the sun sets free, they are free indeed. May the spirit of the Lord reign in this place. Where the spirit is, there is freedom. So God, continue to move in our service, Lord. I pray as every single person gets up and walks out that we'd be in awe and that you would make sure that no one leaves disappointed, that people would receive answers to prayers, Lord, receive words of encouragements, Lord. Lord, that you would baptize us with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would leave bold to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We need to be your witnesses, Lord, now more than ever in our work, in our community, in our country. God, we pray for this country that we live in. We are so thankful, Lord, that we can call into you, know that you answer, knowing that you incline your ear to hear the cries and the prayers of your people. And our country needs you today more than ever before, God. 
We want to pray for the very important election coming up, God, that you would, that your will would be done. And God, that us who call you by your name, Lord, would go to the polls that our voices might be heard. And God, we're so thankful that you are sovereign, that you are in control. And that we can trust in you more than anything, more than any man. And so, God, we pray, even as you promised a revival to sweep across, that the gospel would go forth this country. That's what we need more than anything, more than a political leader, more than a a proposition being passed. We need the gospel to be spread like never before. And, God, we're so thankful that you decided to use us to share the gospel. And so, Lord, help us to be your mouth, your hands, your feet now more than ever. And so, Lord, continue to move. As we get into your word, open our eyes. Let us see marvelous things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We all say amen. God bless you guys. You may- we turn from your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 23. Continue our study through Acts. We're in chapter 23 this morning. And we will be reading through verses 1 through 11. And Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But perceiving that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There arose such a great uproar. Some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. So he ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So we rejoin Paul in the city of Jerusalem at the end of his second missionary journey. Paul has been falsely accused of bringing Gentiles into the court of the Jews in the temple, profaning the temple. This was a great sacrilege. He didn't do it, but the accusation, the false accusation was spreading and a mob formed and believed the accusation and drug Paul out of the temple and began beating him and were intending to kill him. 
And a Roman officer heard about the ruckus and came down and rescued Paul. Now, Paul asked the officer for permission to address the crowd, and he was given permission. So Paul wants to witness this crowd and, and share the gospel, the message of Jesus. And so he starts by sharing his testimony, how he came to know Jesus as Lord, as the Son of God, the Savior, as Jesus, as Messiah. But when he got to the part where God called him to minister to the Gentiles, another riot broke out because the Jews despised the Gentiles and they didn't believe God's love and salvation was even for the Gentiles. And again, believing that Paul was going to be torn to pieces, he had to be rescued once again. He was kept in protective custody overnight. The next morning, the Roman officer wanted to find out what terrible things this man must have done that the Jews are so angry with him. So he brought him before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, the high council of the Jews, so that formal charges could be brought against him. And as Paul began to speak, he explained to them that he had lived with a clear conscience before God up to this day. He wanted them to know, I, I'm, I'm just like you. I love God. I'm devoted to God. I'm devoted to the law just like you are. I've lived my whole life for the purpose of keeping every detail of every law and, and living in obedience to God, and that's how I've lived my life, and, and, and I have a clear conscience about that. Now, that had to do with his life under the law of Moses, under the old covenant. Now, after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he saw himself in the light of the holiness of Christ, he saw himself differently because he could see all the defects and all the flaws. And then he discovered that he had been guilty of the most heinous crimes, acts of hatred and violence against Christ and against the followers of Christ, against the, the Son of God. So from that day on, he saw himself as the chief of sinners. But then he came to understand that he was actually blameless before God through faith in Christ. Remember his letter to the Philippians? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to the righteousness of the, of the law, blameless. But I count all that as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through, from God, the righteousness that comes through Christ on the basis of faith. So he came to see himself as innocent and blameless in a different way, not because of great dedication to keeping the law, but because of his faith in Christ, imputed righteousness, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Remember his letter, 1 Timothy 3, 13, where he said, God has established us unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 
unblameable in holiness as if we'd never done anything wrong. It's the righteousness of Christ through faith. Jude, verse 24. Now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to make us stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. So there is that sense in which we have a clear conscience and we know we are blameless in holiness, but it's not because of how great and how good we've been, it's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness. But his life as a Jew he lived according to the law of God, and he said, I've, I've lived with a clear conscience. Well, that so irritated and offended the high priest, he ordered Paul to be struck in the mouth. So Paul got punched in the mouth for saying that. And Paul snapped back, the way we sometimes do, kind of in the flesh. He snapped back and he said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit to try me according to the law. And then in violation of the law, you order me to be struck. And it was true. What a hypocrite. He's trying Paul according to the law. And then in violation of the law, he's ordering him to be struck before he's ever been found guilty of anything. But then a bystander says to Paul, do you revile God's high priest? And then Paul apologized. Oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I did not know he was the high priest. And then he quotes. He knows the scripture. He quotes Exodus 19.32. You are not to speak evil of a ruler of your people. He had to apologize because he spoke with such disrespect to someone who was placed by God in a place of authority. Now, Paul knew he wasn't wrong about what he said, but he knows he shouldn't have said it. He wasn't wrong. God was going to strike the high priest. He was the most corrupt, one of the most corrupt high priests Israel ever had. His own people hated him, and sure enough, within two years, he was assassinated by his own people. And he was a whitewashed wall. Even Jesus called the religious hypocrites whitewashed sepulchers. Beautiful on the outside because all they cared about was appearing pious and godly before men. But on the inside, in their hearts, they were like what's inside a tomb. The stench of rotting, decaying flesh. Jesus spoke those words. Paul wasn't wrong in what he said, but he knew he was wrong for the way that he said it. Paul understands this biblical principle. If it's a position of authority established by God, it's a sacred position, and we must show respect for that position, even if we can't respect the person in that position. Now, when I was growing up in, in the 50s, we were more of a God-honoring, God-fearing culture seeking to live by biblical principles, and this is how people sought to live their lives. If they would be in disagreement with something that the President of the United States had done, some decision that he had made, they would be very careful to express their disagreement respectfully. Now, if they didn't like some aspect of the President's character or personality and they wanted to express that, they would be very careful to do it respectfully. 
Reverence for God results in respect for authority. Now, we can see that we have become more and more a godless nation. We have turned so far away from God, we have completely lost sight of that principle. And it's astounding to me. The vile, evil, hateful, vicious, ugly things that people can say about the President of the United States. It doesn't matter if he's a Republican or Democrat or Independent, it doesn't matter who he is or how much we disagree with certain things. Reverence for God results in respect for the position. And it's the same with police officers and, and law enforcement. When I was growing up, we were all taught to have great respect for law enforcement. Some of you older people, you can, you can remember that. And we understand occasionally there's a small percentage of bad cops, we know that. And occasionally a good cop will make a mistake. We know that. But they're placed by God in a position of authority. Government is an institution of God. That makes it sacred. There has to be those who make the laws and there has to be those who enforce the laws for our protection and well-being. And because of our reverence for God, we show respect for those that he has placed in authority. And it is astounding to me. I shouldn't be surprised because we've gotten so far away from God. We've completely lost sight of that principle. And, and, and it just breaks our heart to hear the vile, evil, vicious, hateful things that people have to say about those who are just trying to enforce the law and protect us. Hateful things they try to do to do harm uh, to police officers. It's just another characteristic of the godless age in which we're living. We talked about this last week with regard to wives. This is the way godly wives live their lives because they know they're required by God to have a respectful attitude toward their husband and to speak respectfully toward their husband. Not just when they decide he's deserving of it because probably most of the time he's not. Well, I'll, have, I'll speak respectfully to my husband when I decide he's deserving of it. No, you do it because God requires it. It's your obedience to God. If he's being a, a selfish jerk and you need to express your feeling and your opinion, do so. Just be careful to do it respectfully. Not because you respect him at the time, but because God requires it and you reverence God. Same with children. In my generation, children were taught to honor their parents and be respectful, be obedient to your mother and father. That's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a big one with God. And it's the first commandment with a promise attached to it that it may go well for you and that you may live long on the earth. And you see this godless generation and the rebellious, disrespectful attitudes toward parents. I can't stand you. You make me sick. I hate you. And then they're allowed to get away with that kind of an attitude. But what they don't realize is things are not going to go well for them. Because in their heart is defiance of authority and disrespect for authority. 
So they're gonna have that in their heart when they go to school. They're gonna have that attitude toward teachers and they're gonna be in all kinds of trouble at school. And it's gonna get worse when they go to the principal's office because they will have that same disrespect for that authority. But it's gonna be worse when they get older because they will have that same lack of respect for the police. And when they're brought in before the judge, they'll mouth off and, and, and be contempt of court in addition to whatever they're charged with. And they will ruin their lives because ultimately they will have that same disrespect for God's authority in their lives. Well, you don't know my parents, you know. My parents are unfair. All the, all, they don't let me do the things all the kids are doing. And the rules they make for this household are so unfair. So they have that rebellious attitude. That's the attitude they're going to have toward God. Well, I don't like God's rules, and I'm not going to live by those rules. I don't have to live by those rules, and I don't understand a lot of things God says and does, so forget God. And it's going to ruin their life. It started with lack of respect for their parents, and it ends with irreverence to God. It ruins their lives and ruins their eternity. That's why this is so important. Because of godliness, we have respect for those in positions of authority even if we don't respect the person in that position. That's what Paul is saying. I'm sorry, I was wrong, not in what I said, but I should have spoken a lot more respectfully to the high priest. So finally, uh, well, first of all, why didn't Paul know that that was the high priest? who commanded him to be struck. I didn't know that was a high priest. Why didn't he know? Well, there are several possibilities. One, he might have been looking in the other direction when the high priest spoke from over here. And he heard it and looked and didn't know who said it. It could have been that the high priest wasn't wearing his priestly robes that day. But it also could very likely be because of his poor eyesight. Paul had serious vision impairment. When he wrote to the Galatians, he said, I bear witness that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if you could. At the end of Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you. He had to write with large letters because of his eyesight. He didn't want them to think it was an imposter writing in his name. See with what large letters I'm writing to you. It could have been part of the thorn in the flesh that he spoke about, but history and tradition tells us that Paul was small and thin in stature and had runny eyes. So there's numerous reasons why he didn't recognize who it was who said that. But finally, he's before the Sanhedrin, he has his opportunity to speak in his own defense, and he starts out by trying to sum it all up. Bottom line, here's why I'm on trial today. I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> Horrible crime, right? I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, it says in our text that he knew that that would cause an argument between the two sects of the Jews who were there in the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believe in spirits, angels, the spiritual realm, healing, miracles, and life after death. The Sadducees believe in none of those things. 
So the Pharisees all of a sudden speak up in Paul's defense. Well, maybe this man's not so bad. <laughs> maybe an angel spoke to him and gave him this message about life after death. But the Sadducees were irate. And so there was this uproar and this dissension and this fight between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Roman officer says, oh no, Paul's in danger again. They're gonna tear him apart again. And he had to rescue him again. It is possible that Paul was that clever. I'll get the focus off of me and onto something else. I'll bring up the resurrection of the dead and get these two groups fighting. It's possible that's why he brought it up. But it's also very possible he genuinely, sincerely wanted to talk to them about the resurrection of Christ and how that because he lives, we too shall live, and how the resurrection of Christ is the crux of Christianity. Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Christ. If Christ is not raised from the dead, even Paul said, we're of all men most to be pitied. If we're hoping in Christ for this life only, and we're still in our sins, because it's the resurrection that validates the cross. How do we know Christ died on the cross to make atonement for sin? How do we know that's why he died? The resurrection is the proof of that. I do believe that Paul really wanted to talk to them about the hope of the resurrection and then go into the plan of salvation because the resurrection makes all the difference, doesn't it? Makes all the difference. Belief system, who we are, how we live. If there's no resurrection, if there's no life after death, what difference does it make if you're wise or foolish? <laughs> if the end is the same for the wise as it is for the foolish, what difference does it really make? If you're moral or immoral, if the end is the same for the moral man as it is for the immoral man, what difference does it make? And we understand it makes all the difference. The resurrection of Christ from the dead. Life after death. A young man came into work one day and his boss asked him, John, do you believe in life after death? He said, yes, sir, I do. His boss said, well, that explains everything. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know how you left work early yesterday to go to your grandma's funeral? Yeah. Well, your grandma stopped by later that afternoon to say hello to you. <laughs> but now it makes sense that there's, you know, life after death. Just a joke. <laughs> but it makes all the difference, doesn't it? We don't have to live with the fear of life, and we don't have to live with the fear of death. Oh my goodness, we have something so wonderful to look forward to, so exciting. New body, they will never know sickness or pain. There will be no, any, no kind of evil around us. Something so exciting and wonderful to look forward to. Now I admit there might be a little apprehension at times of how we're gonna get there, you know, the death process, Hope it's not gonna involve too much pain and suffering. I would like to die the way my grandfather did in his sleep. Not like the screaming passengers in his car. <laughs> Just kidding, it didn't happen that way. But, but wouldn't it be nice, <laughs> you know, Janice's, Janice's grandmother said, I'm not, I'm feeling kind of tired, I'm gonna take a nap. And she went to sleep and went to be with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I want to die. That's how I want to go, my sleep. But we don't have to be afraid of death. It makes all the difference. 
He wanted so much to speak to them and share the gospel. All three times he tried, he was interrupted. All three times there was a commotion, a ruckus, a riot, and he was interrupted and he didn't get to share. So that night he is so down, he is so discouraged, he is so dejected. You know how you feel sometimes when you you blew it? And you start beating yourself up. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. Paul's like, I can't believe I said that to the high priest. I just blew the witness I was trying to have with these people. And what a lame attempt to share the gospel. I can't believe I tried to do it that way and it, it didn't work out. You know, you know how badly Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem. And, and share the gospel with his own people. He was ready to be in prison. He was ready to die for the opportunity to share the gospel. You know his heart. Romans 9, he said, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. I could wish myself accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen in the flesh. How many of us can say that? I can't say that. Well, I could utter the words, but it, it wouldn't be true. Do I really have unceasing grief in my heart over people I know that aren't saved? Man, I want to study of Paul's life and Paul's heart just inspires me. I want to go deeper in the love of Jesus. I do want to have a greater burden for eternal souls. Could I say that I would be willing to be a curse, separated from Christ forever for the sake of my family, people I love? If God said, Brad, if, you, if you'd be willing to spend eternity in hell, I'll save all the people you love. <laughs> Paul would say, okay. <laughs> I would do that. Would I do that? No, not a chance. Not in a billion years. What depth. What depth of love. And that's what drove him to Jerusalem. I don't care what happens to me. I don't consider my life as dear unto myself. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to get these people saved. I am certain I can convince them that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. And then he utterly fails. And that night he's so down and so dejected. The Lord comes to him and stands beside him to encourage him and to lift his spirits. You solemnly witnessed for me here in Jerusalem. And guess what? You're going to witness for me in Rome also. You mean you're not down on me? You're not disappointed in me? Notice what the Lord didn't say. Is, this, is that the best you got? You're such a disappointment, Paul. can't believe you said that to the high priest. You're such a loser. What a lame, I've never seen such a lame attempt to witness to people. Why, why, do, we, why do we picture the Lord condemning us when we're down and discouraged. Maybe we have blown it. Maybe we have kind of blown our witness in some way. Why do we picture the Lord as coming to us and condemning us? Maybe it's because a parent did that to you. You're so stupid. You're so useless. Maybe it's because a teacher did that to you. Maybe it's because a coach did that to you. Maybe it's because a preacher did that to you. That's not the Lord's heart. The Lord's going to come to you in that moment when you're really beating yourself up and the enemy is beating you up with condemnation and he's going to comfort you and encourage you and remind you, my grace is, is sufficient for you. 
and I still love you just as much. If I loved you when you were hostile toward me, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you were hostile toward me, I loved you and died for you. How much more now when you love me? You're only grieved because you love me and you blew your witness. He messed up. Paul, you did a good job here in, in Jerusalem. What? I did a good job. What are you talking about? I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. You witnessed me solemnly here. You, you, you gave it your best shot. You gave it the best you had without regard for yourself, your life. Proud of you. Pleased with you. And guess what? You're going to witness for me in Rome. Can you imagine how that excited Paul's heart? The Lord comes, looses the sackcloth, girds him with gladness. I get to witness for you in Rome, the population capital of the world. <laughs> oh, that's right. I appealed to Caesar. I'm going to stand before Caesar. I want to witness to the emperor of Rome. Can you imagine if Caesar got saved? Whoa, what a difference that would make. And all of a sudden, his spirits are lifted. God, you still love me. You still want me. You can still use me. That's what the Lord will do when he comes to us. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Well, then who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus? No, he's the one who died for us, rose again, sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He is going to come to you when you're really down and beating yourself up and remind you of his grace. His grace is sufficient for you. And he's going to remind you, a broken reed I will not break. <laughs> oh, I messed that up so bad. <laughs> That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, a battered reed I will not break and get this right, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. He's going to remind, just like he came alongside of Paul when he was so down, he's going to come alongside you. He doesn't love Paul more than he loves you. He's no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. He loves you every bit as much as he loved David and Isaiah, Moses and Abraham. And he's going to come alongside and he's, you're going to be reminded I will never leave you. Other people might be so disappointed in you. They're fed up. They're done with you. Want nothing to do with you. The Lord never will. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. Remember that. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how we, how we thank you for your word. What a thrill it is, Lord, when your word just opens up to us. We begin to hear your voice speaking to our hearts as you reveal your heart to us. What amazing grace. What wondrous love. That you will never give up on us. And when we blow it and make a big mess out of things, you don't love us any less. And you're right there to remind us that you still want us and you still want to use us and you still have wonderful and exciting plans for our lives and you encourage us and you get us going again. So today, Lord, we just want to 
Thank you for your wondrous love. Ask, Lord, that you would give us that attitude of respect for those in authority, Lord. Disrespectful attitudes and words are so, so displeasing to you. There's a way to express our feelings and opinions that is respectful. And Lord, would you give us a greater love for people and a greater burden for souls than we've ever had before? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a time where you have the opportunity to open your heart to Jesus Christ so you can have the Lord in your life and know that even if everyone else gives up on you and forsakes you, he never will. Best friend anybody could ever have, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, your God, who's able to help you and strengthen you in every situation, fight for you and give you victories in every single battle as you go through life and then welcome you into his glorious kingdom to dwell with him forever. That's the love and the grace of Jesus. And if you recognize that you want him and you need him in your life, would you just pray this simple prayer after me? Those of you who are here, those of you who are listening online, would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering so much and dying for me. I believe in you. I receive you now as my Lord, my Savior. Come into my heart. Wash me and cleanse me from all sin. Make me whiter than snow. Establish me unblameable in holiness before you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to stop living for carnal and perverse pleasures, to stop living for temporal, material things, and to begin this day living for you with eternity in mind. Help me, Lord. Set my mind on the things above as I go through life. In Jesus' name. Amen.